This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast brought to you by Anything Is Possible, AIP.media. And I'm coming to you from, um, hold on a second, well it is the virtual joint but it's not the virtual joint in the usual place, this time I'm virtually in Spain, I've swapped places with Laney, he was in Africa last week, I haven't quite got as far as Africa but I'm actually in Spain in Mallorca, in the old town in, well Mallorca. And I'm chilling out here, it's quite early in the morning. There's people around me sleeping, so I'm trying to keep it quite chilled. But I'm gearing myself up for a bit of a cycle ride in a couple of hours down the beach in my t-shirt, down to the coast and have a bit of luncheon. So uh, I'm, you know, but I thought before I do that, I've got to talk about the joys and the not so joys of Brentford with my buddy Laney. Laney, how are you? I'm good, mate, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you're having a good time. You're for a cycle. Which way are you going? Are you going up towards Campostilia and Aranel, or are you going the other way? I'm going to Aranel, actually. So, you know, nice. look at the city. I'm, I'm literally... Get to see the Germans up there, won't you? The, the yeah. Germans will have their flags out the far end. It's a, it's, a, it's a good... That's a nice little prom there. You'll have a, you'll have a, good, you'll have a good time, mate. That's, that's right, that's right. I'm literally staying right, pretty much right next to the cathedral. If anyone knows me, because I'm like right bang in the middle of the old town as well. I've been walking around there, been to all various tapas bars and various all sorts of other places as well. As you do, like I said to you, and like I said to you, the weather's been good and it's been good to get away. I mean, you probably know exactly the same thing, lady. You did that last week and it's good to get away. Just a little bit of sun mm. and a little bit of, uh, a little bit of kind of, you know, a little bit no, Lack of, lack of madness of London, you know, just gives you the ability to, to think, you know, and me being a creative person, I need a bit of space and a bit of time and a bit of fresh air to have a bit of thinking. So I've had plenty of thinking time. I said, I'm here with my wife, I'm here with my, my son Elias. Bella didn't quite make it. Passport office, thank you very much for not sending that through. But anyway, I'm sure she'll be back here in a few, in a few months' time because my, my brother lives here as well. So we're checking him out, Trevor, as I know of a few of the besotted crew out there. They know him, you know, because they went to school with him. And he's been living out here for years. But anyway, just coming back to uh, to, 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 to just talk about Brentford, you know. And like I said to you, um, uh, lady, there was a, 
There was an interesting article, actually, which was written by Jim Levac. Jim writes some great pieces from Besotted. But this one article actually really caught a light and it really got a lot of conversations going. And I think probably because it was not like many of the articles that are written, which are maybe written about the way that we play our football, you know, about certain players, you know, about Brentford's style, about, you know, getting behind the team. This is more about kind of, you know, about the social media and how people are getting into lambasting the team and the players and other people and just basically just not being very nice. And uh, it, it's really uh, caused quite a lot of uh, debate, hasn't it, Laney? Yes, it has. Um, Jim's, you know, I don't know if you know about Jim Levac. He's been a Brentford journalist for over 30 years. He used to, used to write for the Middlesex Chronicle. Um, he's been a besotted contributor for all that time. He was central in um, the campaigns against Dave Webb and Ron Nodes and um, all, the, all the really gory bad times. Jim's, you know, been there for, for the fans and um, been there sort of rooting and finding out information and using his position for, you know, it's, it's indisputable um, for the good of Brentford supporters. Um, and he's a lifelong Brentford fan, so, so was his dad and blah, blah. But um, Jim's in a, still in a quite a unique position where he, he gets the chance to go to the press conferences after the matches. Um, and he, gets, he, get, he, he speaks to the players and he speaks to the management and he speaks to all kinds of characters behind the scenes. You know, not, not necessarily all on the top table, but all, all central to you know, the success that's been achieved over the last sort of three or four years in particular, but going back over a decade now, obviously. So he picks up the vibe, and you know this article, um, which is on besotted.com now. Um, it's called "Antisocial Behaviour at Brentford." It might be slightly, maybe the, the the title could have been changed, but obviously "social" being the word, social media rather than you know asbo antisocial. Um, it, it it kind of explains that there is a sentiment and there is a real anti-certain player vibe that's going on on social media that the players are picking up on it is by underlined is having an effect on on certain individuals and um, they're the same individuals it seems that get singled out you know time and time again you know Sergi Canos uh, Matthias Jensen um, those two in particular Godos less so at the moment but I'm sure the one bad game and it'll be again um, so, it, it, you know, that's, that's just like picking out three individual, you know, um, players. But there's, there's, you know, there are instances where people are screaming, you know, not, not opinions, but just actual abuse behind the dugouts at Thomas Frank, um, at, um, at Brian Reema, at substitutes, at players that have come off. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's having, it's being, it's being heard. And, you know, and... You know, I don't think any of us for one second, you know, this, this podcast is all about, you know, voicing opinions and, and moaning when we haven't played well enough and, and picking up on, um, you know, situations where we should be doing better and, you know, highlighting where the, the team have let us down slightly overall or their standards are dipped below the, the levels that are needed or that, that they've not done themselves justice and in doing that they've not done us justice, you know, but balling out individuals like you know I, I'll give you an example right so I, I, at Man City there was someone behind me that said I, I effing hate Brian and Bumo like shouted it and I'm like I, 
he's been travelled to Man City and he's saying he hates Brian Muma. I was like, well, what are you talking about? Oh, I, I absolutely effing hate him. I hate him. And I was like, what? You know, and then I, I, I didn't engage. I just kind of ignored. And then like, others were saying, why? You know, who would you be playing up front? And he's like, oh, um, um, we, we, I, I'd, I'd put um, Christian Norgard up top today. And I was like, what, what are you talking about, mate? You know, uh, it, but screamed. You know, do you know what I mean? And it's, 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 it, it's it is having an effect on certain that that probably didn't. That's just an example of of of, of people just screaming nonsense. But you know, Jim's article. I wouldn't say it's divided opinion because it, it hasn't. There's been dozens and dozens and dozens on Facebook, on Twitter, and on the Besotted.com website. There's been dozens of replies, and almost I'd say ninety percent, ninety-five percent are kind of like, oh, thank God someone said it. Um, and there's a few people, obviously, that, you know, rightfully as well, saying, you know, people are entitled to their opinions. But I think some of those entitled to their opinions um, avoid the fact that the players are picking up on it. The, 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 some of the, some of the, I think some of the gratuitous abuse that we're talking about here, um, it, it, is, it, it goes beyond what we've always been accepted, you know, as, as a fan's right to shout at, at a game. And I think that's, that's what, you know, that's what the crux of this um, article is about. And, um, you know, I, I think I always take notice of what Jim says. Don't necessarily always agree with it. That's the, that's the point of having a debate. And, you know, it's, a, it's an adult debate rather than a three-word reply, um, which some, 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 of pe- you know, some of the responses have been that are just kind of abusive in reply. But, um, you know, I, I think it's an eye-opener. And I think the fact that um, players are hearing it and we have an incredibly uh, important run-in where every every factor, every bit of confidence that is needed is, is needed. Then I think it's you know some people should maybe rein rein, rein themselves in slightly. Okay, I mean it's interesting. I mean I think there's a couple of points here. First of all, Laney. I mean I think it's first of all it's important to point out. I mean the, the thing about it here at Besotted, we're actually quite lucky because you know and been going for thirty odd years, we've always had uh, good relations with the club. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that we can't be critical because we do and we are very critical and we've been able to sort of force change as well because we've got you know we were able to contact people maybe a lot faster than a lot of people can. So down the years we've been able to either sort of kind of put opinions forward and also force things through and also kind of get feedback, you know. So the interesting thing, you know, with ourselves, but also like I said to you, with Jim Levac, I think the situation is also with him, is that from what I can gather, he it's not a case of, oh, the players have heard. We've, we've, what, what I can understand is that he is actually saying that his feedback is that the players have heard it and the players reporting that they are upset about what they've heard and it is affecting their game is that right yeah very very much so yeah I think you know reading between the lines and because he goes to the press conferences and he speaks to everyone I think that's a, a like a cumulative um, uh, assessment of, of what, what he's hearing from from, from the players post-match yeah and the, and the thing is, I'll also say this, you know, because the question is, and it's interesting because a lot of people will turn around and say, listen, everyone's entitled to their point of view. And I saw a few, you know, comments which are saying, you know, you know, what you're talking about, you know, f- this is football now, you know, it's it, football has changed so much if you if you don't expect this kind of thing, right? And the the one thing I'll say is that, listen, I go, I've been going to football for four years. You've been going to football for 40 odd years. We've been going all the time. We know what football is about, okay? But at the end of the day, what I find is really interesting is that people who, some people who are really sort of sensible, level-headed people, okay, 
but they also can't take the fact they can't when you actually push them the point that football has changed because it has it's not only football's changed society's changed so what you've got is you've got a situation where and let me take my own personal example okay 20 or 30, 20 years ago it was acceptable to monkey chant and make racist comments and beat up black people in and around football games because it was just one of the things that happened it is not acceptable now so football has moved on in the same way that there's certain things that happened in football 10, 20, 30 years ago, which to be quite honest, if you look back on it, you sort of think, that's what it was about then, but things have moved on. Society's moved on, everything's moved on. Just because things have changed doesn't make you any less of a football supporter. Just because, you, doesn't mean that you can't support your team. Shout and uh, sing and, and do all the things to really support your team without actually harassing and haranguing and being nasty and really horribly abusive to people. And that's the thing that kind of gets my head when I'm sort of kind of looking around at people who literally, I mean, they get so unbelievably angry and then they say it's their right to get angry and I'm just like listen you can support your team you can be annoyed that they don't have a corner or a throne or whatever you can do all these things but then the day you don't have to be so nastily abusive to people personally to players personally you don't have to do that to support your team and I think this is where it starts to cross the line and the, the, the sad thing is that people who sometimes are really level-headed there is a belief that because this is what football was always like this is what football has to continue to be like and if you don't believe in that then you are and it's a really lazy term which is put in the same category as the old school um which you call uh, 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 uh you call it politically correct which is basically a term for people who just don't like change right is woke and they don't even know what the work means they don't know where it comes from if you want to do a little bit of history i'm not even going to give it to you just do a bit of do a bit of bit do a bit of digging around and actually find out where that term really comes from but things don't really work like that anymore you know and the fact is that you know social media ironically has been the sort of proponent for change and the fact that more people have actually got a voice actually shows that those people normally will be sitting down and they'll be shut up by people like that because people will be shutting them down the terraces but social media has actually given them a voice so that's a big irony there in it lady yeah yeah i mean you know that's that's all true and it, it but we we have to realize that some of the players that are getting the grief are amongst the best players that have ever played for our football club you know sergi canos in particular i mean i you know i it's not it's not his fault that he's you know he's, he's playing he's playing right back um you know he, he's it just it just isn't. I mean, you know, he isn't a right back, and you know, you, you could you could point it more at the recruitment and you know the lack of the you know the failure to, to identify not not to identify but the failure to get um, a, a player over the line in the last couple of windows. But I still think you know the the club. I know the club have tried. It's not through, it's not through a lack of trying. It's just they're not going to be they're not they want the right person, and they've got belief in Sergi. And I don't think he's let us down. Um, badly, you know, it's just like or at all, um, you know, it's it's just it's just sometimes the, the way it is. But to you know to 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 raise the concerns about are we playing a player out out of position? Could we do better? That's that's a legitimate argument. But to to, to go online and, and be calling him shit and to to be abusing him that that that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about. You know, identifying a player and a position and saying there's a mismatch. I mean, we had a long, long discussion last year about whether you know um, uh, Mazbek Sorensen was 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 suitable at left back, and clearly he wasn't. 
you know, but that's that's not to go online and, and start abusing them, is it? That, they, they're two very different things. And this is what the article is about. It's not saying that you can't, you know, it's wrong for you to voice an opinion or to be passionate about a, a position, um, you know, a, a, you know a, 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 a mental position. You know, It's saying that you don't cross that line and go online and start abusing. And this is, or screaming that abuse, um, you know, behind the dugout when they come off. This, this is what we're talking about. You know, no, no one is for one second saying we need to dilute football. We need to stop people, you know, as you said, sc- screaming when the referee gets it wrong. Screaming when you know we should have had a, you know, should have been a penalty. No one wants to take that kind of raw passion out of the game. But you don't have to be nasty, and it, it's 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 that. And you know, there's been there's dozens of, as I said, dozens of replies and lots of people with families saying that they struggle to they struggle to kind of explain to their kids why what, what certain words mean and why someone's having a go at Brentford players. It's it's just kind of you know it, it, that's what the article is aimed at. And if you take it the wrong way, then you can read it again because it's not it's not for as I said not for one second saying we need to dilute our match day experience in terms of noise or energy or passion. It's just stop being gratuitously nasty online. Um, and that's that's it really well yeah I mean nasty online and also nasty in the stadium as well because I mean when there's people that are behind the dugouts and calling things out to players and to the manager and to the head coach that is actually not online that is actually in person so I think this is what it's talking about and also when people are trying to explain to their children about certain words that isn't online because the children aren't reading online it's actually in person so it's not only online it's also about in person at the end of the day and I've said this before you can support your team you can support your team as much as you but you I've been I've been to stadiums in five continents around the world I've seen people support their team and support their team proper you could be hardcore you could be proper but you don't have to be nasty about the way that you go about doing it and I'm not being a dad about saying that and waking my finger I'm just saying that you, you don't because if that's the case, that means that you, 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 you probably lack expression in the way that you're able to express yourself. You can express yourself as a proper fan without being, without being so horribly nasty. But anyway, we should move on because we've got lots more things to talk about in this podcast. We've got Will, the spreadsheet winker. He's back. He's going to talk to us about Crystal Palace and also Arsenal and those games that we uh, have played and we're going to be playing. Also, we've got JB. He's got some no-goal facts that he's going to give to us. And also, I'm going to be speaking to Turkish from Arsenal Fan TV. He's going to be giving us the lowdown on Arsenal a little bit later in this podcast. But listen, we're going to go away, going to have a little drink. I might have a little glass of sangria as it is. Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk Crystal Palace. So Crystal Palace came to New Griffin Park for the first time and uh, zero goals. And uh, no goals we've been scored by Brentford or Crystal Palace in the two games we've played them so far this season, which probably kind of makes you feel that the two sides are probably fairly evenly matched. The game itself wasn't a classic, and I think that's a bit of an understatement. <laughs> but for us, I think Brentford fans were a bit more, uh, well, I say well, not a bit more, but a lot more, a um, lot happier with the end result than the Palace fans were who I think they've expected to come to, to New Griffin Park and get more of a result. I think they were looking to get three points and sort of clear away, especially as we've been on a losing streak, uh, a massive losing streak before that. So, uh, Laney, I'm just wondering, what are your main takeaways from that Palace match? Um, my main takeaways are 
looking back on it almost, you know, best part of a week later is I think it was a really decent point. You know, I think everyone in the stadium was hoping to get three and three points would have, would have made our position in the league just so much, so much better. Um, but one point was it stopped the rot. Um, looking at the two teams, you know, they're, they're clearly a, a stronger unit than, than us. They've, they've, they are more established. They've, they've got a bigger, bigger, broader squad. Um, so on that front, I think it was a, a decent point. You know, it was. I think yeah, the XG, um, which we'll talk about later on, shows that we, we, we probably should have you know could could have should have scored at least one, um, which would have would have seen us get, get over the line. But overall, I think the most important thing was just getting points on the ball again. Um, you know, we've got Arsenal on Saturday, which you know again we'll talk about, and I'm like. We'll see if we can get anything out of that. I'm hoping we can get one, but then, if then I think our season starts like to to, to get really juicy. If there, there's points to be had beyond the Arsenal game, um, and I think you know I think there's signs there um, that you know that that we are beginning to kind of. Um, We've kind of to gel again. We've got a defence that is it, it looks more solid. We're dealing with corners a lot better. So yeah, so overall a, a decent point, which probably feels a bit better now than it did um, straight after straight after the final whistle. And for me, I think for me it was uh, defence. My main takeaway was just defence. I've been worried about defence. The fact that we keep letting in goals. The fact that we didn't let in a goal that match for me is a big. Big plus, and even Pinnock, and I'll talk about him later, I thought he had a fantastic game, but I just thought defensively we're really solid, and if we carry on defensively solid, you know, we're going to start picking up points, and so for me that was the main takeaway. I mean, looking at where our strengths were, we stole the ball often from the opposition, you know, but the problem was we were poor at finishing, we lost possession often, and we committed loads of errors, you know. I mean, we gave the ball away loads. Crystal Palace also gave the ball away loads as well. But they were, there were no significant strengths for Palace actually in that game. And they were poor at finishing. So I think we have to look at that as probably sort of kind of another couple of points gained because they didn't really have that much going for them as such. As we said there, you know, they didn't have very many clear chances at all. I think they had one, maybe two, you know, in the box as it was. And other than that, there were pot shots from kind of outside, you know. So that was, um, you know, a bit of a shame that we could have picked up more. But at the end of the day, for me, it's about chipping away. It's about getting a point here and a point there until we get our team back up and running, which will be more likely to be kind of mid-March now. I thought it was going to be April, but now seeing as Raya and Josh De Silva have come back earlier than I expected. I'm now talking about mid-March before we're going to get ourselves motoring. So for me, my main takeaway was defence. You know, now talking about sort of main takeaways, let's talk to the fans who were at the game, both Crystal Palace and Brentford fans, and let's ask them what they thought of the match. The point is really, really nice to have. We haven't had one for a long time, so uh, that, that was welcome. But uh, I thought it was two uh, decent sides, both kind of lower mid-table Premiership sides, playing good football, cancelling each other out. And uh, there were some good performances. Crystal Palace, as we know, are a dangerous team. They've got some some uh, very interesting, good players. They've also got some diving, cheesy type ones as well. But uh, what can you do? But yeah, no, I thought as a, as a kind of Brentford team that's back on form, uh, back looking looking good again. And uh, I think I think we'll do. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we can use this as a spring ball. There's no reason why we can't go to uh, 
to Arsenal and look to get something from it. We played all right. Every point is vital and, and there's one of them. So I think it was important to spot, stop the right, important not to let in a goal. Good to get the silver back. He makes a massive difference when he comes on. You almost only realise how much you've missed him when he comes on and plays. But I thought at the back we did all right. I think Palace are a, a decent team. They've got some strong, direct forwards. And I think mostly we managed them well. Um, perhaps we didn't create enough, particularly in the second half in terms of chances. But... I think it's an important point and it's a good starting point to kick on and uh, let's get back into mid-table where we, where we should be. Look, 36 hours ago, I was in Adelaide. I flew over from 31 degrees to come in here, freeze my nuts off at one degrees, and I was promised three points. We got one. I'll take it every time, but we're missing firepower up front, mate. We've just got to have better conviction going forwards at times. We got into some really nice positions in the first half. Probably deserve to get a goal. I've not seen the XG, but I suspect it's in our favour. Canos had a good chance, but it's just about that composure. To be fair, everyone talks about Ericsson probably coming in for Jensen. Jensen had a better game, but Palace was strong physically, and I think that's going to be the challenge for Ericsson, is building his physicality on a, on a training pitch in practice games so that when he comes out, he's not getting kicked from pillar to post. I thought, I'm coming away thinking a draw was, I'll take it, it's a fair result. Um, I think we've probably had the better chances. Sergi's header in the first half, I thought, should have really been on target. We're very nervous, obviously. I think all of us have been stuck on 23 points for six, seven weeks or whatever. So happy not to have lost. They could have lost at the end there. They had a strike and goal. Uh, good save by Raya. So um, draw, yeah, we'll take it. But should have nicked the three points, really, I think. We didn't have the possession. They had a lot of the ball, but they weren't really creating too much with it. They were moving it from side to side, but we contained them. We were containing them. And... Um, it's a, it's a good, as I said, it's a good foundation to build on from now. Uh, we've got tough games coming up and it's about getting points on the ball. And as you said, it's a point closer to safety. And um, nice to see Raya in, goal. Nice to see Josh come back. And obviously it's nice to see Christian come on the pitch at the beginning. And uh, things are looking rosy. I think both sides pretty early on realised it was a dire affair. And we've got, neither of them were going to be happy with losing it. So it looked like there was all-round agreement a draw would be a sound result. I mean, we've, we've been notorious all season for being very poor first half and then turning on second half. Norwich midweek, we were terrible in the first half and then we absolutely dominated after the break. But I didn't really see that happening today. I thought our best spell was after our substitutions towards the end. But picking up on what you said, being happy with the point, the first thing I did when I got to the pub was check our points tally and work out where we'd be if we drew every game for the rest of the season and we'd be on 40 points and we'd be happy with that given the Vieira's momentum this season so far I think anything that leaves us comfortable all season will be fine with most Palace fans Yeah, my win would have been really nice but I think it's a fair result to be honest fair result um, big plus first of all I've seen Joshua Silva back and he's He's, he's come back and he, he looked like that same player. He has those moves. He can glide past players. And I can't wait to see him play of Ericsson. Uh, but there's definitely reasons to be cheerful here. Um, yeah, no point on the boards. Not massively exciting, was it? Let's be honest. Nil-nil. But yeah, the, the losing streak's over. And um, I think we can go. If we bring that performance to Arsenal and perform that defensively, no reason we can't get something there. And um, yeah, then it's those crucial games to come. So there you go, fans from the pub, 
always interesting to hear what they say straight after the match. Uh, so talking about players though, Laney, your eye catcher for the bees, who was it? Um, for me, I well, you, you mentioned Pinnock. I, I, I thought he, he won everything in the air, but uh, yeah, I, I'd say I, yeah, I'm going to go Ethan Pinnock to be honest with you. I mean, well, I'm not going to yeah, I'm not going to double double uh, double nab a player. So yeah, Ethan Pinnock for me, I thought he was I thought he was excellent. Okay, and then, then you're doing the same for me as well. I said Ethan Pinnock, I thought he had a marvellous game again, and it shows you, you know, when we have that player inside his commanding, what a difference it makes to, to, to you know, to, to they, you know, we're nervous about the corners coming through, we're nervous about, you know, how we have been in the air and conceding, um, conceding goals from that. But in that game, I thought that he was uh, very commanding, and I thought Ethan had a great game. So I think that's, I think that's good for the future, as they say. Um, opposition danger person though actually you know for Crystal Palace and <laughs> there's a there's a few players and there's a few players that round us up a little bit as well but I mean who is their danger person lady? Oh, oh well I mean every time Gallagher got the ball I I, I, I did I did kind of I did kind of like uh, squirm a little bit but he, he didn't he didn't really have a, a, a great game I mean, he, you know he drifted here and there and he gave us all something to think about um, so I, I know. No, to be honest with you, no, no Palace player really, really stood out at all. Um, you know, I, 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 it was. I thought it was a, a pretty flat performance. You know, Zaha was kind of involved, but not really. And he was, he was aggy again, like he was in the first game. I mean, there was players to, there was players to kind of obviously be aware of, but no, no individual stars at all. I didn't think. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it, 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 was, it mainly came from their defence. I mean, Zaha was, 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 was annoying, as per usual. Um, you know, you talked about Gallagher, but again, he, he didn't impress the way that I thought he would do as well. I thought Anderson in defence uh, played well, and, and I would say Gurhi as well was all right in defence. But also, I think we have to put it down to their goalkeeper, which his name is it, Guita uh, as well. Um, they kept a clean sheet, and if it wasn't for him, uh, even though you could say that he positioned himself well, they wouldn't have had a clean sheet. So maybe we have to give it to him um, as their sort of kind of uh, opposition danger person. Um, can you think of any stinkers that match at all? I mean, I know it's a while ago. Well, I, you know, it's it's the I, I go Zaha the Zaha sort of petulance. I, I think you know I, we, we all know what what a great player he could be again. You know, he he's their talisman. But in the two games that I've seen him this season, he's just been a w- just just a whinger. He doesn't look like he enjoys his game. He was probably better better on this Saturday than you know the beginning of the season. But yeah, I'd I'd, I'd put him. I'd just put his mood down to being stinky. He, he he doesn't look like he enjoys his football, which I think is so sad with someone with you know who's been blessed with that much talent. Um, and in you know, he's, in the end, he's, he's he's not getting any younger, and he should be enjoying his game. And if he's not, you know, maybe he, he ought to go to somewhere where where he can. But yeah, maybe that's part of his game. But I just I think it's just a, it's sad to watch, to be honest. So and and for me, I would actually say it was. Um, and again, it's not criticising the players; it's actually just criticising that moment. And I think the stinker was probably Canos's header. 
because uh, he could have, he could have, should have, could have, would have scored that game. You know, he's right in front of goal, and the header didn't quite go where it was meant to be. And uh, I thought he could have done better. To be fair, he was, he, you know, to be in that position, I thought he did very well. But I thought, Canos, mm, you know, this, these are the chances that we need to be scoring now because we ain't going to be getting very many. So I thought that was probably the stinker of the match, which probably isn't fair on Canos because it stinker sounds like it's like, oh, it's really terrible. But I just think that that header was a goal really so um key moments um laney key moments were i'd say um the brian and bumo um uh, miss you call it a miss uh i i like the fact that we we were getting the ball behind their their defense we we hadn't done that for quite a while um the, the that was a canos pass um that that, that got behind and brian and bumo Got got in and 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 you know didn't quite get enough on it to, to, to trouble the keeper properly. Um, again, it was one of those. At that stage, I'm thinking this probably is is not going. This is you know this isn't going. We're not going to run away with this either. This isn't going to be a one nil. This isn't going to be a two nil, three nil game. You know, if we are going to get anything, we're going to we're going to get um, we're going to get a point. And uh, that, I think I started to I, I started to kind of sense. Uh, a point at that stage um, so yeah it, 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 it was a bit deja vu yeah I mean for me I mean that chance obviously but also I think Wiesa for me he had a chance on 29 minutes which if you look from an XG level 60% it was so 6 out of 10 normally go in the back of the net but it didn't this time so and I think that was the second opportunity big opportunity that we had and it wasn't happening for us the thing that I will say though is actually there wasn't there was no stage in that game really that I felt that we were going to, to lose that game I'll be honest with you mm. it kind of you know it, you know I think one of my mates turned around and said to me it looked like we just almost like made a pact between ourselves to just try and sort of play it out and get a point because we both needed at least a point but I didn't really feel kind of danger that at any stage we might have you know like you know get a last you know like Brighton with Trossard with his last minute winner or anything like that you know I didn't feel that moment at all so uh, yeah, but anyway, but listen, you know, talking about you know the uh, the Crystal Palace match, we're going to go to JB, who's got some well Crystal Palace no goal facts and funk. Let's hear what JP has got to say about the Palace match and scoring no goals. Jonathan Burchill here again. So we had our second no-score draw of the season against Crystal Palace. Although we hadn't played them in the league since 1964, we have had 30 previous matches with them, and yet none of those ended 0-0. It's also a scoreline we've not had against any other team in the Premier League this season. In our league history, we averaged 3-4 0-0s in a season, with four seasons having had eight. The 1980-81 season was particularly memorable for a league run that went 0-0, 0-0, In none of our five previous top tier seasons did we ever have a home and away 0-0 against the same team. Double 0-0s are in fact very rare. In the 60 year period until 1980 we had just one in the Football League against Southend in 1961-2. Since then we've had 10 with 7 in this millennium. Before Palace, the previous one was in 2013-14 when fans saw no goals in the match at Griffin Park, nor from the 600 mile round trip to Carlisle. So there you go JB with the zero goals, facts and funk. Um, quite interesting that wasn't it Laney? 
Yeah, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that. Cheers, cheers, JB. Um, yeah, I mean, you can tell there. There's been some serious thumbing through the record books there. Uh, that's, there's there's some um, several hours worth of research gone into that, and um, yeah, no, I, I enjoy enjoy his slot every every podcast. So uh, yeah, well, good work, mate. Good work, JB. So she's all good. So listen, talk about the away day, or the day for it's an away day for the Palace fans, or the day out. Just you know the atmosphere. You know what was your vibes on the atmosphere and the day out, Laney? Uh, it, it was it was a bit flat. A lot of that, yeah. I mean, there was you know in post match. I, I spoke about you know the, the several of the players trying to g up the crowd. I think that again, it's you know it's uh, I think the players sense that we what you know the stadium wasn't as loud as it as it has been. I think there was a lot of nervousness, and I think there was you know as, as the game progressed, um, you know there was it was it, there was we were kind of sensing that there was obviously a chance that they were going to nick one on the break. But all the time it stays nil nil. There's enough quality in both, you know, in, in, in all oppositions to kind of like, you know, create, carve out one big chance, and especially after the Wolves game as well. It, it, the, la- the last two, the last two home games have been a, a bit odd, I'd say, but um, yeah. So uh, overall, six, seven out of ten. Yeah, I think, you know, seven out of ten. Yeah, I think I'm a seven out of ten as well. It was good to see my mate Toby as well, who uh, well I went to university with him back in the day, and also started to go to Dulwich Hamlet with him as well. You know, big Crystal Palace fan, so good to have a, an early drink, started up a drink with him, and showed him the, the Brentford manner as well. And also to my mate Neil as well, who's a music industry posse as well. So Neil knew again back in the day, got a many an England game with Neil. You know, Germany 2006 and all over the place. So it's good to see them. Um, you know, in the in the boozer beforehand, and give a little catch up with them. You know, as as opposed to the away fans, they were a lot quieter than I thought. Palace again. Don't forget, we're in the West End, so you know, certain games we do hear, certain games we don't hear things. And I thought that they're a lot quieter than I thought that they normally are when you see them at Palace with their their displays and their drums and the, all the malarkey that they do. Um, but they didn't have much to get sparked up about. And again, it was a bit flat from the Brentford end. So I'd I'd give it as a day out. It was good to see my mates. So I'll give it a seven out of ten. Um, I would have probably tacked it back to a 6 out of 10 if you're talking about atmosphere-wise and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, which is all good. But, um, you know, we're talking about the atmosphere and the game. Let's just let's flip it back to the game itself and let's talk about the chances. Let's talk about the statistics. Um, let's go to someone who's been locked away for a number of weeks doing all sorts of kind of sort of projects and he's been, been doing all sorts of exams and so he's not been able to give us the, the stats that we need. But we got Will Allsop otherwise known as the Spreadsheet Winker. He's actually got some stats for us on the Crystal Palace game. Spreadsheet Winker. So what do we need to know about the Palace and Arsenal games then? In the Palace match, he's created 1.8 XG without scoring. Wisser, Canoson and Burmo all had chances above 40% in that match. Although from watching them, the positions of the players when they made the shots and the positions of the goalkeeper make the XG appear a lot higher than the chance actually was. I think XG probably overestimated the quality of chances we had in this game. However, we probably still should have scored from those chances. We limited Palace to 0.53 XG, so we had a very strong defensive performance. All but two of Palace's shots came from outside the area more than half their XG came from one chance by Ayu around 30 minutes in. So there you go. Good to hear from him again, Will Allstop. 
the spreadsheet winker talking to us about the Crystal Palace game. And yeah, he actually said that the chances that we had, you know, from an XG level were probably a little bit harder than they made out. So instead of maybe three goals, we should have just scored one, which would have done us, but we didn't score that one goal. So uh, it was a nil-all game. And as they say, and a lot of people say, if you don't take your chances, you're not going to score your goals. We know that. Of course we know that. It's just the most obvious thing in the world. But the thing is that if you don't make chances, then you're never going to score goals. And if you're creating chances, then you expect us to score goals. So there you go, and you have it. So that, that frustration again, I mean, going back to it as well, just looking at the charts as well, just quickly on the slope charts, you know, I mean, Brentford, again, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, chance creation and XG, which is what we're all about, you know, we're, you know, we're right up there. We're sort of kind of Arsenal are sixth, and we're seventh, eighth, ninth. We're tenth. We're tenth in the chart on, in terms of XG and chance creation, which basically means that we create some great chances. We're not putting them into the back of the net. Arsenal are in the same position as their chance creation. So the, the quality of chances they're creating, they're in sixth position and they're sixth position in chance creation. We are tenth in chance creation and our our, our league position is, you know, 11th, <laughs> is it 15th or 16th? 15th, I think it is, you know. So basically we are underperforming massively. You know, is that down to our strikers? Is that down to our formation? Is that down to bad luck? You know, I can't answer that question, but hopefully that will be answered next season because we are undoubtedly going to be buying more players <clears throat> which will be more in tune with this division and uh, hopefully that, that will change and um, of course yeah, I'm presuming that Brentford don't go down of course talking about um, 538 which we talked to about quite a lot as well which predict how the teams are going to be doing uh, at the end of the season you know Brentford are as far as they're concerned are going to finish at 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14th 14th position okay with 40 points which is where we are now Bill we're not 15th Okay, which is 14th position. We are predicted to finish, right, on 40 points, okay? You know, the same points as Everton, who are in 15th position. You know, then Leeds United, they predict to finish in 39 points, uh, 16. Newcastle in, in, in 35 points, 17th position. And the bottom three, they predict to be Burnley, 33. Watford on 28 points. And Norwich on 28 points as well. So basically, you know, the gap between the final relegation spot, 33, and us, 40, they predict is going to be seven points by the end of the season. Now, this is not gospel. These are just statisticians who are putting their models in. Um, they they often get things right. They often get things wrong. I think the, the point for me more is the fact that they have us down at 11% chance of relegation. Everton at 14%, Leeds at 15%, Newcastle at 37%, so a massive jump. Burnley at 50%. Watford at 81% and Norwich at 87%. So as you can see, they've got four teams lumped in still for the relegation spot. Norwich, Watford, Burnley and Newcastle. And then there's a massive gap between them and Leeds United. And we kind of come out the back end of those kind of sort of like, mm, okay, this lesser chance. Listen, if we lose all the matches between now and the end of the season, we are going to go down. But I've still stated that I do not feel we're going to go down this season, but we need to improve so that we do not find ourselves in a pickle next season, which is all good. So listen, other than that, listen, so Laney, fair result. Crystal Palace nil, Brentford nil. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, it, it was fair. I'd, I'd probably, go, I'd probably say about 82 percent fair. I'd, I'd go, I'd go with something like that. Okay, I'm gonna go. I think that we should have actually won, one nil. So I'm gonna actually say the fairness factor is probably a little bit lower than that. So I'm gonna probably go sort of uh, 
70, 78%, you know, and the actual, oh, oh, the fairness rating is actually 71%. So actually, they, they, they've, they've got it in the yellow. So it's, it's just on the edge of red, which is actually really unfair. So they actually really thought that the bees should have got a result out of that one. So uh, maybe we should be grizzling a little bit more. Maybe we should start getting angry and start abusing everybody, Laney. Like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going straight onto social straight after this. No, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to run down the streets here in, in, in the old town and just start abusing old men and everything like that, you know, just shouting at them and swearing nice. at them and just like, yeah. Nice. But anyway, so, so yeah. Leeds, just quickly, Leeds, league recap, which we've had 14th place with, uh, with 24 points, you know. Leeds United just below us, 23 points. Crystal Palace just above us, 26 points. Norwich City in 18th place with 17 points. Yes, they have got, what, a game in hand? Norwich City have, and Watford have got a couple of games in hand, and Burnley got quite a few games in hand. But at those positions, like I said to you, they're, they're winning less games than they are, they're losing less games than they are winning. So them picking up points, it's going to be at a slower rate than if you're high in the season. So I say, you know, if these teams start picking up points and they're starting to do it very well, and if we start losing points, then we're going to be doing very badly. And that's how we're going to be getting into a position of fear. Right, listen, we've talked enough about that Palace game. We need to eradicate that from our memory banks because it was rubbish. Okay, and let's talk about um, Saturday because we're playing Arsenal. And we're going to the Emirates Stadium for the second time in a, in a few years. We were there a few years ago. 9,000 of us, I think it was a record amount of fans at their stadium. It probably still is a record. It was a record that season anyway. So uh, we're going to go away. I'm going to have another sip of sangria. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk Arsenal. Saturday, Arsenal, three o'clock kickoff. That's such a rarity as well. Two three o'clock kickoffs in a row. We're going down to the Emirates. 3,000 fans were taken down there. People are very excited. I have to say, though, people are a little bit nervous because the last time we went to the Emirates, went to Arsenal, the atmosphere at their stadium was not good. It has to be said. And we took 9,000 fans and we took too many fans. So we were struggling to generate the atmosphere that we would normally do so i think it's going to be much better that we're taking 3,000 fans because we can generate the atmosphere that we normally do and we'll see what arsenal could do because like i said to you their fans i'll have to say and i've got a lot of very good arsenal fans so this is not disrespecting them as people as such i'm just making a comment that i was quite surprised that the atmosphere wasn't um, a little bit more cauldron-esque as they say you know when you've got 50,000 people in that stadium but anyway we're going to go over to will also the spreadsheet winker he's going to give us the lowdown on Arsenal. Spreadsheet Winker. Let's have a look at Arsenal now. And although they've been on a bad run in 2022 so far, it's been very well publicised, they've had twice as many red cards as they've had goals, they've created enough XG to score double their two goals in the Premier League so far. Most of their losses and poor performances have come in the FA or League Cups, meaning their Premier League form has been less affected. They sit fifth in the XG Justice League, just ahead of West Ham, Man United and Brighton, so they're not doing too badly. They're quite dependent on midfielders for goals, however, with Emil Smith-Rowe having scored eight from just over four XG so far this season. He's really overperforming his stats. The main man, Lacazette, has just three goals from more than five XG, so he's underperforming this year. Contrast that with Ivan Toney's supposedly quiet year. He scored six from 6.25 XG, which is bang on where he should be. So that was Will Allsop, the spreadsheet winker, and that was the statistical lowdown on Arsenal. Before we talk about Arsenal, I'll tell you what, I had a little chat with my mate Turkish from Arsenal Fan TV, and we had a little chinwag about Arsenal and about Brentford. Have a little listen to what we talked about, about Arsenal and Brentford. 
So, big game on Saturday. Going to the Emirates Stadium and uh, we're playing Arsenal. It's like, uh, well, for the first time we've played them in the Emirates since we played them in the League Cup a few years ago. And we played them at the beginning of the season, the first game of the season. That was a game which a lot of Brentford fans are very, very happy about. And I know the Arsenal fans weren't particularly happy with that result, but since then they picked themselves up quite a bit. So we thought we need to find out a little bit more about Arsenal. So we're going over to Arsenal Fan TV to speak to Turkish from AFTV. Turkish, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. I can't, you know, I can't complain. I didn't think I'd be um, sitting here in February with top four in our sights. So, you know, I can't complain at the moment, mate. How you been? I'm good, good, mate. I can see a big smile on your face there, actually. It's a big smile, bigger smile than it was when I went back in August, actually, when you played you before. But listen, it's been a bit of an up and down season for Arsenal. Um, like I said to you, it's fair to say you're more on track time now than the last time we spoke. I mean, just give us a little chat about your season. I mean, when, when you start the season with a transfer window that seemed like it wasn't enough, that seemed like we prioritised areas that we didn't need to prioritise and starting the season with a, with a loss to a newly promoted side. And not only a newly promoted side, but the side that was promoted through the playoffs. It kind of left a bit of a sour taste in, in Arsenal fans' mouths. Well, my mouth. Let me speak for myself. Because of the way I look at the owner and I, the way I look at the progress made under them or the lack of progress made under them. So going into that game, already hesitant about our chances this season, it was a slap back down to reality. And, and that's exactly what it was. Um, you know, we had moments and those moments can really change a game and they can change a mood. But we failed to capitalise on those moments. We didn't score a goal and, you know, Brentford ran out 2-0 winners. After that game, we headed into two more before the international break big ties and you know we lost both of them didn't score a goal so in that first international break the mood was very low at Arsenal Football Club one of the lowest moods it's been since maybe the latter years of Arsene Wenger which was um, quite a toxic time in in the Arsenal fan base but after that international break we started picking up wins 1-0 against Norwich 1-0 against Burnley and at that time, you know, results matter more than performances. But as the season's gone on, you know, Arsenal fans have wanted to see more performances. It's not Arteta's first year in the job. It's his second full season. Uh, so I think that is a fair um, request to make from Arsenal fans. And you look at December and we score 17 goals. In December, we came off the back of three big away losses to Liverpool, Man United and then Everton. But we bounced back. And that's something Arsenal have failed to do in numerous years over the last 10, bouncing back from poor performances or defeats and, and letting those poor performances and defeats define the squad, define the season. We've managed to bounce back. In December, we scored 17, you know, five in one game, four in another, three in another. Um, and we turned what looked like a corner. Then January comes and, you know, you play Man City on the 1st of January. It's not, it's not the best game to be playing in the turn of a new year, but, you know, it is what it is. You have to play everyone twice. We actually put in a solid performance, a solid performance let down by a few minutes of nonsense that we've seen before from Arsenal, a red card, a penalty, and that swung the game in Man City's favour. But you take a step back and you look at the performance, you understand what actually happened in the game and you have to give credit where credit's due. No points, but we stood up to one of the best teams this league has seen ever and best teams over the last four or five years. And we gave them a game. You know, even Man City fans that I spoke to after that game um, gave Arsenal credit. They said, you know, no one's, no one's played like that against us where they've nullified our threat and they've pretty much, you know, 
dominated in a sense, not possession because you know you're not going to dominate possession against City, but in terms of chances and in terms of being comfortable in that game, Arsenal were very comfortable, and it's not often you say that against City. But that was that was the last bit of um, positivity in January. Because then you go on to lose in the FA Cup against Nottingham Forest. You go on to lose in the League Cup semi-final against Liverpool. You go on to sell Aubameyang on the last day of the window, or not sell, let go for free, um, on the last day of the window without any recruitment. It kind of, you know, takes the life out of you a bit, especially when you look around the league and you look at Tottenham, you look at United, and, you know, they're as inconsistent as, as we have been, if not worse. So this is a big opportunity for us this season. So January was a letdown. But what better way to, you know, um, turn another corner after January play Wolves. And it's a Wolves side that have been consistent this season. You know, they've been consistently good. They're they're solid. They've conceded the second least amount of goals in the league. And they've got a manager and a style of play that Man City found tough to break down. Liverpool found tough to break down. Wolves have beaten United and Tottenham away from home. But we managed to go there and get three points. You know, maybe it wasn't the performance that we all wanted or expected, but it was three points. And after January, that's exactly what we needed, Billy. And I keep on mentioning this last weekend just gone, and I keep on saying Arsenal won, but we didn't even play. But it feels like we won because in and around that Wolves three points, Tottenham lost two games, Man United drew two games. And, you know, we've got to take as much optimism from our own performances and results as we do from other performances and results. And Tottenham and Man United... Their inconsistencies have allowed Arsenal this pathway, let's say, to a light at the end of the tunnel. So as we sit here right now, Billy, I'm actually I'm actually curious about how this season's gonna end. But if you ask me at the beginning of the season, I didn't even think top six was achievable. So, you know, I guess I've got to be content with where we are at the moment and just hope for the best. Yeah, so I mean listen, if you're gonna ask me. I think Arsenal are doing okay, and I've said to you as well, I watched your game after you played us about a month afterwards, and I thought actually Arsenal were better than everyone was saying that they were. You just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. You know, XG-wise, you created more chances than we did. You know, you were the only team for about three months, or a couple of months at least, who had a higher XG than we did. Other than that, we were creating more chances than every other team that we played in that season, including West Ham, including Brighton, including Wolverhampton Wanderers. Like you know, you just didn't create, you didn't put away your chances, and that that is that is a big thing, you know. Looking overall as well, you know, you're the sixth best sort of quality chance creation team in the Premier League as we stand at the moment now, which is reflected in your league position, you know. But like I said to you, you lot just don't seem happy. And I can't get my head around that because I know that you, you know, that you, yes, in principle, like, you know, you're a big team that, have, you know, you've won the league and you've won the Cups. But to me, you seem to be going forward with a new manager, which is, it's only his second season, you know, and, you know, he's doing what he has to do and he's trying to rebuild the side and trying to get you to play a particular style of football. And I think that you're doing okay. So I, I don't quite understand why everyone's so unhappy. It's just, uh, you know what it is, Billy? Um, It's the owners. That's where the majority of this unhappiness comes from. That's not on Arteta. That's not on Edu. That's on the owners. I think if you asked Arsenal fans in the last couple of years of Arsene Wenger's um, career at Arsenal that we're going to let Wenger go and two years later we're going to sign a manager that was never a manager, you know, Arsenal fans wouldn't have been happy with how that seemed, how that looked. And, And that's what happened. And I think a lot of the... I won't say anger because it's not so much anger amongst the fan base now. It's very much divided because, um, divided by optimism and pessimism. And I think a lot of the pessimism comes from the fact that Arteta 
is new to management. He's learning on the job. But as well as having a manager that's new to management and learning on the job, we've also got a director of football that's new to the role, that's learning on the job. And we've also got a young squad that's learning, that's growing in the role. And Arsenal fans have seen um, projects like this one go pear-shaped before. Um, moving into the Emirates, we had Fabregas, we had Nasri, we had Clichy, we had a, a good core of young players. But if you ask Fabregas how that ended, he's been quoted as saying, you know, it felt like everything was put on him. It felt like Arsenal's progress was put on him. Success was down to him. He didn't feel like there was many winners in the team. And look what happened to that side. Fabregas went Barca, Nasri went to Man City, Clichy went Man City and so on. Um, then you have the Jack Wilshire, Ramsey and Oxlade era where we went from a, a young core of a mix of English and European talent to a young core of English talent. And I remember Wenger coming out and insinuating that, you know, when you go for European players, Arsenal's not really at their heart. But if you go for young English players, they know what Arsenal's about. They know what Arsenal should be and, and they know what it will take to get Arsenal to where they need to be. So it kind of made sense at the time. But then you look, Oxlade goes Liverpool. Jack Wilshere gets burnt out. Ramsey end the contract leads for free and now he's at um, Rangers. So even that youth project failed. And both youth projects that I just mentioned both fall under Cronkay's ownership. So as much as, yes, there is definitely points to look at in Arsenal right now in the season and the squad and say, you know what, it's a young squad and I give that credit. It's, it's, the culture has changed amongst the squad. I look back two years ago, it was very much a, a toxic culture. And forget the fans for a second, it was a toxic culture in the dressing room amongst the players. Mesut Ozil, Kolasinac, Mustafi, Xhaka, you know, there was various rumours behind the scenes of, of, of unrest, you know, of affection amongst the players. Now you look at it, it's Emil Smith-Rowe, it's Saka, it's Tommy Asu, it's Ramsdale. It, you know, it, it's players that we're a lot more connected with because they're fresh. They're not, being, they're, they're not tainted by the mistakes of, of past like Mustafi is or like Xhaka is or like Holden is and so on. So there is, there is a light at the end of this tunnel, but off of previous mistakes, I think the Arsenal fans that are not happy at the moment, and that includes me, um, are not happy at the moment, are this way because we've seen this fall flat on his face before under this ownership and we need them to see how it fell flat on his face. I look at Saka going into two years on his contract in the summer, Billy, and I look at Martinelli um, heading into three or two years as well. Klopp, you know, he's mentioned Martinelli. Saka's already been linked to Liverpool. At the end of the day, it's all good and well seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, but if the rug is swept from underneath you on your way to that light, you know, you might get up and there's no light anymore. And that rug might be Saka, that rug might be Martinelli. Um, so we need the club to act accordingly to keep these players happy, to keep these players at Arsenal, knowing that the future is bright. It's not just about the fans, it's about these young players too. Um, so you're right, there is definitely reasons to be happier than we was, or we have been over the last three, four years. But there's also reasons to be dubious about where this process is actually coming from and if this process has learnt off of mistakes of, of failed processes in the past. Mm, okay, and, and, and what I'll say to that is, listen, I understand, but sometimes if you look backwards, you can never look forward, you know, and at the end of the day, it's not Arteta's fault what happened in the past, cause, and, and it's almost like you're not giving him a chance. You know, I sound like he's Asian here, don't I? No. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, he's managed you for 114 games, he's averaged 1.83 points per match, um, this season, I think he's won 16 with 1.85 points per match. So he's even a little bit better than that. His win average is 53%, right? Wenger's was 55%, even though it's overall obviously a much, much bigger sample size because he did it over a number of years, whereas he's only here for two years. 
Emery, interestingly, was 57%. Um, so I'm kind of doing a little comparison to Thomas Frank. His is actually 47%. I mean, but I think what I'm throwing in there is that, you know, I think Tom, I think he's I think he's doing all right. I just think that you just kind of just need to let him to get off and do what he needs to do and don't put the pressures of what happened back in the day. And Because and, if you do that, then nothing, nothing positive is ever going to happen in the future. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and, and this, this is the balance that Arsenal fans have to deal with. I mean, if you look at this season and, you know, the figures you just mentioned, of course, Arteta looks to be doing a decent job and it looks to be progress being made. But, you know, last season cannot be swept under the rug. And, I, and you're right. It's not on Arteta. It's, it's not just on Edu. It's the majority of it's on the Cronkies. But, you know, summer 2020, Billy, we signed Willian for free from Chelsea and we give him a three-year deal on 200k a week. I knew, and a lot of Arsenal fans knew that, stop going for these older players that have won it all at our rival clubs, that really have no ambition to, to succeed at this club. Willian, David Luiz, Petr Cech. And you know what people can say in the summer of 2021, we learned of those mistakes. Maybe they listened to the fans, Billy. Maybe they listened to fans' frustrations and said, you know what, maybe they're right. Maybe we shouldn't go for these has-beens that have done it. Maybe we should go for a younger squad. And I guess that would, you know, that would be um, a welcome change. And it is a welcome change. This squad is a welcome change. This starting eleven is a welcome change. But I just fear, and January has added to that fear, Billy, that this ownership hasn't changed. Arsene Wenger made Champions League for 16 years in a row, or however long it was. But in those 16 years, how many times did Kronke seize an opportunity or this club seize an opportunity to take a necessary risk to maybe win the league title or maybe get back in top four? Or as we sit here now, get into top four they didn't take the necessary risks in January it might look good come end of season if we make top four and we clean the slate in January and put us better position moving forward but it might also hold us back because Tottenham have got Conte United well United are in a mess but with the money they have any moment it might be sorted out with the right manager coming in with the right process or whatever it is we're competing with teams that are taking risks to get to where we want to get to. Whereas it seems that we are resting on our laurels and hoping this process takes us there despite of all the competition we have. And, and it might, and in the summer, Billy, if we get top four, hands up, I'll be the first to say, listen, credit to Arteta, credit to Edu, and some credit to Cronkies for sticking by them. You know, some credit, but I could never give them full credit. <laughs> so listen, I mean, look, let's, let's, let's talk more about the game and talk about Brentford and talk about Arsenal and what's going on this weekend. Because, uh, OK, so I did a, after we played you last time, I was on BBC Radio 5 with Robbie, actually, from yeah. your AFTV. And it's interesting because he called Brentford uh, or he uh, compared us, but he said that we were, in effect, the Stoke City of the oh. Premier League, which I thought was interesting. But the reason why he called us that is because basically we scored a goal pretty much directly from a, a long throw. The, the interesting thing is, though, the guy that took the long throw literally had only been subbed on about two minutes before the throw. And it was like, I think it was the first throw that he had taken. Like, you know, so I just thought it was quite interesting how you can get tarred with a brush immediately. Like, you know, but anyway, but just coming back to that, I mean, obviously you're Turkish, still part of AFTV. What are your thoughts on Brentford and about our... Uh, our first season in the Premier League, the way that we play, you know, just, just Brentford in general. Listen, uh, having spoken to you already about the season, I mean, it seems like a sensible approach. You didn't go all in last summer with the added income of the Premier League money, the gold mine that people, you know, like to call it. You, you didn't lose yourselves. You didn't go for it. And, and 
you know, in hindsight, when you look at other clubs that have got promoted and that have fully gone through with that money, it's ended up costing them because it's not necessarily a panic, but at the same time, it's a very different league. And I think what Brentford have done well is come into it with the same but similar personnel and given them the chance to prove themselves. And I think that's gone a long way for the players to trust the club and the club to trust the players. And also, you know, it allows for progression amongst the squad and, and possibly in the summer window as well with financial um, power added, maybe. I'm not too sure. In terms of Brentford, I'm, I've been impressed by Brentford at times this season. Um, I know it's been a bit, you know, inconsistent and I know the last six or seven games haven't really gone your way, but injuries, thin squad, newly promoted side, it was bound to go this way. You know, it's not often that a newly promoted side comes up, hits the ground running without any new signings or without any, you know, um, expenditure in the summer and really has a top half finish. So I think Brentford have done very well so far. I think I think Brentford need to, you know, turn a corner because one win in the last seven games doesn't read well on paper. And in this league now, um, that sort of inconsistencies can cost with Newcastle improving their squad as much as they have in January. I look at the, the table at the lower end of the league and I believe Brentford have played 25 and, and the six teams below them have played less games. So for Brentford's safety, I think have to turn a corner but also the you know the return of Christian Eriksen and, and his first game and I think Josh De Silva as well will be coming back into things and you know it, it it has the potential to turn around and I think it will turn around because what I see from Brentford is a strong mentality even in losses it's, it's not like Brentford crumble it you know there's no soft core there it doesn't seem like a Brentford loss is is like when Norwich lose, you know that's a poor side in my well, in my opinion, that's a poor side. When Watford lose, you can tell that's a poor side. Brentford, for me, win, lose, or draw, they've given a very good account of themselves. And I just think overall, credit to the manager, credit to the club, and credit to the director of football and so on, the stadium, the credit to the fans as well, Billy. Because because the Brentford fans are special as well. I have to say that outside looking in, you know a fan base that has been through the mud and are now, you know, not in the promised land, but in the top league and look into the future. So overall, Billy, my opinion on Brentford, you know, I, I like Brentford a lot. And I think, and I think, I think you'll stay up and I want you guys to stay up. Yeah, well, hopefully, like I said to you, another little visit down to, to North London next season will be yeah. all good because we're still sussing out the pubs to go to. I know, li- having lived in Stokey for many years when Arsenal, through Arsenal's heyday, I know that part of London very, very well, you know. So I'll be taking my, my chums down to a few places to have a few beers before the match on Saturday. I'm going to be enjoying that. Just coming back to Brentford, though, because obviously, like I said to you, you've got respect for us, which I, I you know, very much appreciate. And thank you very much for tipping your hat. Which players do you think can cause you problems on Saturday. Ah, right, we'll put Tony on the side for this one because Tony, you know, he he, he will cause problems. Um, I've been impressed by Mbumo. I think I've said his name right, Mbumo. Um, I think he adds a lot to your attack. and He might not be as productive as, as I would have expected this season or you would have expected. Um, I, think, I think he's got about three goals, three assists. But overall, to your attacking transition, I think Mbomo plays a hell of a big part in that. He seems to be the one out of him and Tony that drops in, helps helps the ball get forward. So for me, if we're putting Tony to the side, I'm looking at Mbomo as the as the danger man. But obviously Ericsson as well. 
you know, Ericsson during his time in the Premier League, he was up there with Mesut Ozil, David Silva in chances created, assists and whatnot. Obviously an unfortunate incident and I'm glad to see he's back and healthy and hopefully has a, has a um, you know, health concern free rest of his career. I'd look at him, if he was starting, he would be my danger man. But I think it might be a bit too early for him. So Mbomo for me is the one that I look at and say, let's keep him quiet. Okay, and you know Brian Boomer's hit the post or hit the woodwork about eight times a season. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, a lot there of people, there's things that you don't know about Brian and Boomer. So if, if, that, if them things had changed, if half of them had gone in, you know, then it would have been a different story altogether. So like I said to you, you know, um, and, 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 you know, we talked about the first match of the season. And like I said to you, I said to you, I thought you were unlucky in parts. You played some good football. We defended really well. Emil Smith Rowe, like I said to you, I thought he had a, a decent game there as well, you know. Um, but, but, you know, uh, Saka came on as well and he got a big round of applause from the Brentford fans. Question, what do you think about that, actually? Because remember when Saka came on and, 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 and he got a round of applause from everyone in the stadium, including the Brentford fans? Because it's a disgrace what happened to Saka after the um, Euros last year. Not only Saka, Sancho and Rashford. It's a disgrace. And... and it's embarrassing, it's shameful that we're still talking about things like that in 2022. Um, but we will still talk about it because the game doesn't take those things as serious as it should. Um, so Saka's, you know, reception, again, I, I can only applaud Brentford fans to, for being part of that. You know, like I said um, to you on Box to Box, because me and you have done a Box to Box for AFTV, uh, you know, I, things in life are bigger than football. And that racial abuse and the abuse suffered from Saka and, and the other two lads, unacceptable. And to be welcomed back, not only by Arsenal fans, but by Brentford fans and the Premier League in general in the way he was, I think it speaks volumes for, you know, the respect I have for Brentford fans and, and the club itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen, I mean, so what, what Arsenal fan, our players should we be looking out for in this game? Well, I think Emil Smith-Rowe will start since Martinelli got the red card and Emil Smith-Rowe is our top scorer and, you know, when he does come off the bench, he tends to have an impact. This is now his chance. Emil Smith-Rowe dropped to the bench, you know, some would say in unlucky fashion, you know, he was, I think he picked up a little injury, Odegaard come in and since then, Emil Smith-Rowe has been number one off the bench. This is now his chance when Martinelli suspended to stake a claim to start the next few games. And as our top scorer, as our threat, um, as our goal-scoring threat from midfield, I'd look out for him. I think, you know, not starting games, no player doesn't like starting games. And I think he, he you know, he, he will relish the opportunity to start. And like you said, in the first game, he was one of the, you know, bright points for Arsenal Football Club. I expect him to be again. You look at our attack and it's not really clinical, Billy. And, you know, we haven't got a striker that we can um, put our hat on to, to get a goal or two. So we have to look at the Smith-Rows, the Sackers and the older guards who have been holding up the attacking side of things for us this season. Okay, so look, let's be truthful now. This is a big game for both teams, right? You want to get top four. We need to get out of that, you know, away from that that horrible little zone, you know, which Norwich and Newcastle and uh, Burnley and and them lot, Watford are hogging at the moment now, you know. So like I said, Christian Eriksen played an hour in midweek in a friendly against Southend. He he, he set up a goal for Josh De Silva, who scored a hat-trick. Josh Silva's been out for a year, but you know him actually playing and scoring a hat trick in that game gives us light that he's going to hopefully start on Saturday, which is all good. Now they may or may not have an impact on this game, but I want to know how do you think the game will pan out? 
Must win for Arsenal. Must win. Um, something about Arsenal this season, we've bounced back well. You know, we've stood up to challenges. And I think this, you know, I, I think we've got this game, Billy. I think um, Brentford will put up a fight. I think it'll be a tough game. But I think what 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 is on the line for Arsenal Football Club means I can't see past the win. It's going to be tough, but like I said, 2-1 win to Arsenal Football Club, I'll take that. You know, I don't even need the performance right now. I'll just take the results. OK, listen, right, listen, Turkish, it's been great chatting to you. Like I said to you, I'm, uh, I'm going to finish off with a glass of wine and I'm going to go out and get a bit of tapas. Think, you know, so, <laughs> and a bit of paella, like, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to finish off my little Spanish holiday, then I'll get back on the plane and I'll be down in the Highbury Stroke Emirates Manor on the Saturday morning, bright and early, to get the vibes before Saturday's game. Enjoy. Yeah, so hopefully I'll catch up with you at the weekend. Definitely, Billy, definitely. I'll definitely uh, make sure I see you after that game. Nice one. So there you go, a little chinwag. Me in Hispania and Turkish in Finsbury Park talking about Arsenal and Brentford. Good bloke he is. Go and check him out. I know Arsenal Fan TV, there's been, you know, a, a channel that's been going for years, you know, Nearly as long as Besotted, I would like to say. Almost as long as Besotted, but not quite. <laughs> but which is all good, you know. So uh, respect to Robbie and all the crew out there that have been doing their thing and working very hard over the years to bring information to fans about their team. So Laney, Arsenal, what are you saying? Well, I think we need two things, you know. I, I, we, need a, we need a landmark victory at, at some stage soon and whether it's going to come this week or next week I, I think it's I think it is coming um, we need we need a defense to actually play rubbish like I, I, I see week in week out defenders of, of, of teams that are playing on the telly like just make howlers they don't seem to happen against us um, and also we haven't we haven't had one game this season I don't think where we've scored like from every chance we've created they they happen to teams over over the season they, they do where almost everything you touch goes in the back of the net just because of luck and and, and just um, you know it, it, it happens where you, you know you, you you do get a streaky run in a game where everything goes your way I don't sense that that's really happened to us yet and, and, and I think we're due one so hopefully it starts on, on Saturday uh, at, at the Emirates and you know you're right you know if, uh, Emirates and Highbury Library as, as the predecessor was called you know Arsenal, Arsenal fans aren't famed for having great vociferous home support. They're away fans, um, arguably. If you speak to a lot of Arsenal supporters, which I do, um, they say away from home, they're you know they're they're different. They're they're really loud, but you know um, they didn't have a lot to sing about in the first game of the season. So we're not we can't really judge that. But yeah, I'm not going there for the atmosphere. I'm going there hopefully for a point at least. So. You know, I'm I'm sensing that things are starting to move back in our favour. Whether they do this weekend, we'll see. But as I said, beyond this weekend, I, I, I really think there's points to be had, and um, I, I want that landmark win soon. All right. So listen, there's a few things here. Our team, Brentford's team, it's going to be 
potentially very changed from, say, for example, a team that we, you know, that we put out a month ago, you know, around about the Christmas period, period where we were sort of struggling together to try and pull players out who were with COVID, who were injured, you know. Um, you know, we were really struggling then, but all of a sudden now we have David Raya, who's back, and he's looking like he is in form. You know, he made a little bit of a mistake a couple of games ago, but, you know, he looks like he's fully recovered from that back of the Crystal Palace game. We've got Christopher Iyer, who's in the centre of our defence, like, you know, so, uh, you know, he, so he, he, he's looking like he's becoming more and more commanding. And there we've got Ethan Pinnock, who is back as well, who had a fantastic game in defence as well against Crystal Palace. You know, we've got you know Ivan Tony who is back now and he's back in the four. We've got Joshua Silva who potentially may start against Arsenal, which is very exciting. A team that he actually started his career with, and we actually signed him. He actually turned around and said, "I don't want to play for Arsenal. I want to play for Brentford." And he actually signed for us, which was a surprise to them, and it was a surprise to us at the time. And we have the potential of possibly Christian Eriksen actually maybe coming off the bench at some stage in this game as well, as he also played a match against Southend. Uh, a few days ago and he actually got an assist with Josh De Silva scoring a hat-trick so it's it almost looks like it's a I wouldn't say the perfect storm is happening but we're getting a situation where I'm saying this you know our players are coming back and they're coming back at the right time and if they all come back at the right time and they start to click we're going to see the old Brentford back on that football pitch Laney yeah I, I, I completely agree and that's you know that's that's you know, really, what I was hinting at again with this like landmark win, um, we haven't, you know, away from home, we've not really been in a, in, in with a shout, at, you know, against the the, the big, the, you know, in bunny ears, big big clubs, the top four or five. I know we've got to play Man United and Chelsea away yet still, so you know we haven't we haven't sort of played the full the full Monty, but uh, I think the the, the, recent, the last couple of games you know we 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 played we played you know okay you know away at um, main um, main road away at Etihad, um, and um, um, we 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 were looking we were looking more organised we have we have to be organised we have to build upon this defensive more, you know, more more solidity at the back and we have to kind of carve out big and take big chances um, to, to stand to you know stand any kind of uh, opportunity of getting getting a point at least you know Arsenal you know let's let's not forget you know they they're blessed with some incredible talent there. And you know they're going to be asking questions all afternoon. We have to we have to keep them quiet. They have to have an off day. We have to we have to you know take take our chances when they come our way and, and not leak at the back. You know I think I think we stand more of a chance of that happening um, uh, than we did uh, four weeks ago. So uh, yeah, you're right. We're, we're we're starting to build. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's it's there's there's lots to be kind of like um, hopeful for. I mean, talking to Turkish, it looks like Emil Smith-Rowe is going to be back in the game. I mean, I remember Smith-Rowe, I'll never forget that game when we really desperately wanted um, Huddersfield to beat, uh, I think it was West Brom. You know, we were sitting there watching it in the Globe in the lockdown because, you know, if, if Huddersfield, you know, beat West Brom, which would have been very surprising, then it would have put us right back in the automatic promotion frame. And I remember we watched a Brentford game, then we watched that game afterwards, and there was more cheering in that West Brom game when Emil Smith-Rowe scored that goal for Huddersfield. We went absolutely ballistic in the Globe. It was a 
fantastic moment. So I'll never forget him for that. Hopefully that's going to be the last time that he's cool. actually going to have a, a, any relevance with Brentford. And he doesn't definitely score, but he's the top scorer with eight goals as well. We've got Saka with six goals, Odegaard with four goals. Martinelli, he won't be playing with four goals as well. So, you know, that's kind of where it's at with, with, with the Arsenal. You know, they're good at creating chances through through balls and creating scoring chances, counter-attacks, and they're also good at defending set pieces. Where they're not good is aerial duels, which is where uh, Ivan Tony hammered, you know, Ben White as well in the first game. As also avoiding individual errors is where it's uh, they're, they're, they're very weak. So that's going to be really interesting, Brentford. I'm just coming back to you, Laney, though. So opportunities are plenty there, isn't there? Yes, I'm hoping there are, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm also hoping that we might see a bit of Christian Norgard, um, Christian Norgard, Christian Eriksen. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll see, but maybe it's, you know, maybe it's one more game away, but a couple of minutes at the end, um, you know, sub, off the substitutes bench. It'd be nice to see him named on the subs bench at, at the very least, rather than seven, seven goalkeepers or whatever we're, we're naming recently. <laughs> That's right. Maybe you could take one of the goalkeepers off and put him on instead. So we'll only have six goalkeepers <laughs> on the substitute bench this Saturday. But listen, Laney, I'm going to ask you, please, can you give me a score prediction? I am going to go for a one-all draw, Mr. Grant. Oh, oh you've stolen my, my one-all. I'm going to go for a one-all draw as well. In fact, I tell you something, no, I'm not. I'm going to go for a two-all draw. I'm going to go for a draw still, but let me, let's say there's going to be a couple of goals. I, I went on Arsenal Fan TV and I said it's going to be a one-all draw, but at that time, you hadn't stolen my one-all, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go an extra, extra one. Still going to be a draw, two-all, which is all good. So anyway, this is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast brought to you by Anything Is Possible, AIP.media. Go and subscribe to us and also send us a lovely little uh, review on iTunes and all the other good podcast channels as well. Buy us a beer, uh, besotted.com forward slash beer. Thank you very much to everyone who's bought us a beer so far. We keep saying we're going to give you a shout out, but we actually have to find a podcast where I'm not in Spain and Lainey's not in Africa and we're together and we haven't got 35 games in one week and everything like that, which we will do very shortly because we've got uh, nicely spaced out games coming out and we could talk about other things, including you guys who have been supporting us. We very much appreciate it. Don't forget to pick up your Christian Eriksen t-shirt at besotted.com forward slash ce21t that's ce21tee and we'll be donating two pounds from every shirt sold to the cardiac risk in the young charity that's cry and that's the that's our dedicated charity that we have set up after the tragic death of our technical director rob rowan a couple of years ago he died from a heart problem so like i said to you lots of money going to cry it's a really good cause so it's good to know every t-shirt sold We'll be dedicating £2 towards that charity. We are going to be at Arsenal on Saturday. We're going to be out there drinking very early on. We've got a few places all lined up. If you want to find out where we're drinking, just send us a message of DM or anything else like that and we'll find out where we will be. But other than that, uh, after the game, don't forget Pride of West London will be our post-match podcast. We'll be talking to Arsenal fans and Brentford fans after the game. But my name is Billy Grant. I'm here my final days in Spain before I come back for the Arsenal match on Saturday. And I've got Laney in the house. Yeah, yeah, I'll see you, uh, see you all on Saturday, boys and girls. I'll see you all on Saturday, you know, I'm very excited. I'm going to say, I don't know how you say it in Spanish. Come on, you. Adios. Uh, adios, you <laughs> bees. Uh, flying things, buzz. <laughs> Cheers, come
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.